Today we're going to look at uh, Malachi. We've been in Malachi for a couple weeks now, haven't we? Final book of the Old Testament. It was written about 400 years ago. Or no, not 400 years ago. 400 years before the birth of Jesus. There we go. Thank you. Thank you for your grace. Malachi can be uh, read in about 15 minutes. And so the Bible was silent for those 400 years until Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John came and the Gospels came because Jesus arrived on the scene. Prophet Malachi tells us what happens when God's people just stop worshiping Him from their hearts. He shows us, Malachi shows us what to look like when people turn religion into routine. You see, after God returned the people of Judah to their own land after they had lived in exile for so many years, the, the people fell into the, a long ingrained habit of just taking God for granted while pursuing their own selfish desires. They suffered from spiritual apathy, really, laziness, boredom. They become spiritually indifferent to God. And they were only going through the ritual motions. And they were far from God. You know, I believe spiritual apathy is um, the number one weapon against the church. If the enemy can replace the fervor that we once had, the love for the things of God, with apathy or indifference, then it separates the church from incredible transformational ministry. Incredible, abundant life that you can live separates us from God. You see, in this first couple chapters of Malachi, you see these people weren't bringing their best of their flocks for temple sacrifices. Instead, they were bringing blemished sheep, the runts, the leftovers. The priests who served in the temples also became apathetic and unfaithful. Divorce was commonplace they were marrying men were marrying foreign women who brought their own foreign gods with them and they were leading the men away from the god of israel malachi 2 17 says this you have wearied the lord with your words how have we wearied him you ask by saying all who do evil are good in the eyes of the lord and he who is pleased with them or where is the god of justice the people had twisted God's truth. They believed what they were doing was okay with God. And because He was being gracious with them, um, he, there was no immediate punishment for their disobedience, but He sent Malachi to call it out. Malachi 3, 1 through 4, I will send them my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And suddenly the Lord you uh, are seeking will come to His temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? He will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He'll sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He'll purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. And then the Lord will have men who bring offerings in righteousness. And offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in the days gone by, as in the former years. 
Malachi prophesizes about a man named John the Baptist who will come and prepare the way of the Lord and call people back to God through repentance. And then he foretells about Jesus coming himself like a silversmith who will refine silver, melting it, removing the dross, and purifying it until he can see his own reflection in it. And this prophetic image is the way that God purifies us throughout our lives and in the stages of life that we experience so that we can follow the ways of the Lord together until we reflect Jesus Christ to all the people who see us and they'll glorify God. Look at Malachi 5. He concludes this. So I will come and put you on trial. I'll be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who will defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. You see, back then, businessmen were defrauding their workers. They were cheating their customers. They were taking advantage of the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners. But the most shocking, shocking treatment was the treatment of God. They were robbing God. They were withholding their tithes from God. They were just giving their leftovers. Their attitude was, what's the least amount that I can give to still keep God happy? <laughs> Today we're going to talk about giving our best to God. And what does that have to do with a tithe? Our checkbooks, our bank accounts, our wallets. <laughs> a tithe is 10% of the income. And maybe you're squirming in your pew right now. <laughs> so I'm going to begin with a story. There were two men who were shipwrecked on an island. The minute they washed up on the island, one of the men started screaming and yelling, We're going to die! We're going to die! There's no food! There's no water! We're going to die! The second man was just relaxed. He was chill. He propped himself up against the palm tree. He was acting so calm that it drove the first guy crazy. He began to shout, Don't you understand? We're going to die. The second man replied, You don't understand. I make $100,000 a week. The first man looked at him like he was crazy. And he said, You don't get it. We're on an island with no food, no water. What good will your money do? We're going to die. The second man said with great serenity, No, you just don't get it. I make $100,000 a week. I tithe 10% to my church every Sunday. I have no worries whatsoever. My pastor is definitely going to find me. <laughs> Isn't that a good tithing joke? Now a tithe has to do with God's plan for our lives, God's rhythm from our lives, almost from the very beginning. During the time of Moses, when God was giving his law to the people, he commanded them to tithe everything from the man that God gave them because it belonged to the Lord. He wanted to see that return to the Lord. But before that, back in Genesis, we read that the time of Abraham, he went to war to go rescue his nephew Lot. And Abraham won the battle and he rescued his nephew, his possessions, and a number of men and women who were in captivity. He also had many spoils of war. And on the way home from the battle, Abraham met Melchizedek, the king of Salem, who, who brought out bread and wine for Abraham. And he was a priest of the God Most High. 
And in Genesis 14, 20 says that Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything. And giving one-tenth to God almost goes way back to the beginning. But in the people of Malachi's day, they forgot. They were ignoring this commandment from God. Let's pick up uh, with Malachi chapter 3, 6 through 9. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me. I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But I ask you, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. That word tithe is an old Hebrew word. And like I said, it means one-tenth. For example, if you uh, make $100 today, a tithe would be $10 given over into the church. It's very simple math. One of the purpose of the tithes was to support God's work. One of the ways to tithe in doing this was to support the temple priests and also the Levites who helped the priests do the work of the temple. You may remember Aaron, the brother of Moses, was the first priest. And all the descendants of Aaron became priests in their successive generations. And Moses and Aaron were from the tribe of Levi. Now, the 12 tribes of Israel, out of the 12 tribes of Israel, the only tribe of Levi, did not, the only one that did not receive any land to farm and to work was the tribe of Levi. The other tribes were given land. They settled, they built houses, they raised crops, they started businesses, but not the tribe of Levi. So how were they supported? Well, since they were doing the work of the Lord in the temples, they were supported by the tithe. And as the tithes were brought into the temple, they were put into incredible storerooms. The grain, the new wine, the oil, the other tithes in which they were stored provided for the needs of the priests, the Levites, and their families. We read in the book of Nehemiah, we read it in our Bible reading plan this week, about a time when evil and corrupt men stopped the distribution of tithes and the worship of God fell apart in the temple. And Nehemiah was speaking in chapter 13 about this in verse 10 when he was doing reformation among Jerusalem. 10, I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them. And that all the Levites and the musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and I asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. And all Judah and the tithes of grain, new wine and olive oil into the storerooms. I put Shalema, the priest, Zadok, and the scribe, and the Levite named Padiah in charge of the storerooms, and made Hannah, the son of Zichor, and the son of Matani, their assistants, because they were considered trustworthy. They were made responsible for distributing the supplies to the fellow Levites. You see, Nehemiah went back to Babylon 12 years after he arrived in Jerusalem. We aren't sure why he did that, but he did that for a bit. And we don't know exactly how long he was gone. But we do know one thing when he returned to Jerusalem. One of his major opponents in rebuilding the Jerusalem walls was a guy named Tobiah. 
And the Tobiah had been given the room where the tithes were stored. He'd been given the room there to live in the temple. Now, Tobiah, Tobiah was an Ammonite. There were, a group of, there were a group of neighboring people at odds with Israel. And as an Ammonite, Tobiah would have been forbidden to even enter the temple, let alone live there. But the temple priest had married Tobiah's daughter and gave Tobiah too much influence over him. And these large rooms where the tithes were stored were cleared out. And that, like I said, that room was given to Tobiah. Thus the priests and the Levites had nothing, and they were not worshiping the Lord or leading people in the worship of the Lord. And they had to leave and find some way of providing for their families. When Nehemiah returned, he was furious. He threw Tobiah out, and he gave orders to purify the rooms. He reinstated the tithe system, as we heard a moment ago from Scripture. And again, tithing is one of the commandments God gave his people through Moses. One of the places it's talked, uh, spoken about is Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 23. Look at this. Be sure to set aside a tithe of all your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine, and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling place for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. Here the Bible makes it clear. One of the purposes of the work of the tithe is to support the work of worship of God. The transformation of people's lives so that they can encounter the living God. So that they can be discipled and they can grow into new life and experience that transformation and the renewing of their minds so that their legacy the trajectory of that legacy can be changed into a righteous path. We're to give God our first and our best. And the tithe is to remind us of that. It's been said, show me your calendar and show me your checkbook and I'll tell you what you value most in life. What is your calendar filled with? What about your checkbook? Do you set aside time and money for God? You set a time, that schedule, to come and to worship God and to experience the teachings from your pastors and the ministry of music and other ways in which the tithes support the work and ministry of this church and discipleship and Bible studies and prayer. Do you spend your money on, uh, what you spend your money on doesn't reflect your devotion to God. Do you make giving your best to God, giving your tithe to God your priority? I want you to hear from one of our church members, Michael Estep, about how he and his wife, Marilyn, came to tithe. Let's look at this video together. We first started tithing many years ago. Um, as, as we were more and more involved in our local church and, and uh, being youth coordinators there and teaching the kids about the many many wonderful things about God. Um, the question about how do we give was part of that. And um, it was a conviction for us to continue to find ways to serve God. We look at tithing, we look at giving as a form of worship. I can tell you though, at the very beginning it was difficult. And I think it's difficult for any uh, person or couple who when they first begin to make that commitment to tithe, to be able to pull that 10% out and say, this is gone. This is going to the Lord. Um, but never 
have we ever been in a situation where that 10% caused us any financial difficulty or, uh, or we felt the, the, the need that, oh, next week we're not gonna do that. Um, I, think that I think that apathy, if you will, um, is sometimes um, brought about because of the, the realization that there's other responsibilities and you've let the other responsibilities in your life cost-wise become higher than God. Does that, does that make sense? Um, so what was important maybe at one time, um, oh, I'm all gonna ho, I'm gonna start tithing or I'm gonna give this amount of money, then it's gonna be a sacrifice. After a little while, you kind of get away from that because the school bills come in or you have an extra bill that came in off the car repair that you didn't know about. And uh, how can I give that? And so that apathy maybe is influenced by an outside need. Well, everybody has outside needs. It's when you give, the, when you give that donation, that 10%, that offering first, first, write that check first. What a blessing. It, 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 you, will, you will be blessed. You know what? Um, Mike and Marilyn's story reminds me of um, the way my wife and I began giving in uh, 1995. Um, I was appointed to uh, Union Plains United Methodist Church as a part-time student pastor. And at the time, I was going to Asbury Theological Seminary um, this place was two miles north of Mount Orb on Route 68 there. My annual salary was $9,600. The air just left the room, believe it or not. <laughs> and Kim was a full-time teacher at Forest Hills School District, and she uh, was at base salary. We had to, to pay for seminary, of course, our car and other things, and we were, we were barely getting by. And the first year, I remember we got these pledge cards, and we filled it out, and we can't sunned it up at what we could afford, and it was only like 4%. And so the next year, we both got raises. And so we decided to slide that over to work toward a tithe. And we stepped it up to like 6%. And we kept on doing that through the years. And eventually, what was really cool is that, that uh, part-time church, Union Plains, became a full-time church because we were growing because of the awesome preaching that was happening in that church. <laughs> but what we did was we slid that over and eventually it felt so good and it took work. But we tithe. And we let God do the rest. And I really believe, and when we look at our possessions, it has a lot, the way, uh, a lot to do with the way we give to God. For many of us, we look at the things we own as the things we own. This is my house. These are my cars. This is my job. This is my bank account. My investment. Let's say these 10 apples here on the altar represent the sum of everything that we earn in a year. Well, the housing costs keep going up and the cost of our mortgage and, and also our housing insurance probably takes about three of these apples. And then maybe we have some, some things going on that we have maybe a couple vehicles that we pay on. And then you have those vehicles that take probably two of the apples plus car insurance and then you got the food thing going on and then maybe 
clothing and certain entertainment and other things, Netflix and, <laughs> you know, YouTube and Prime. And then you have the other one that maybe is your health insurance and other insurances that, you know, just protect, keep you safe there in life. And then you have another one that uh, maybe is what you turn into your savings. And then there's this last one, this nice bright red apple. <laughs> and maybe you say to yourself, you know what? I need to get vacation. And you cut that. And this represents what God's supposed to get. And then you say, you know what? I just need a good Christmas for my family. And then that goes. And then you say, who day? And you say, I'm going to get some Bengals tickets. And then you're like, man, I just really dig my neighbor's boat. Don't cut your finger off, Jonathan. And then you find out that God's just has leftovers, <laughs> slices taken out of that. You see, with what you see up here, when you really think about it, all these apples belong to God. <laughs> they do. You know, and you think about it, it's just pretty soon all we have left is give God our leftovers. And we think about, looks, looks, we look at things backwards. If we think that all these things are ours, then we grudgingly feel like we have to give God something that we worked hard for, something that we earned that really belonged to us. But here's the truth. Everything that we have, everything that we are, belongs to God. God created the heavens and the earth. They belong to God. God created you and me. We belong to God. God gave us our hands, our feet, our brains, our strength, our life, our breath, whatever else we need and have to work with. Even that belongs to God. And like I said, all these apples belong to God. And he lovingly and graciously and generously gives us nine to us and says, yeah, use them however you want. Be good caretakers, stewards of them. And I give them to you. But this one is for my kingdom, is for the work of my ministry in this world. You know, Barna Research says that the average parishioner in the church gives anywhere from 2 to 4% of their income. God wants to be first in your life, in every area of your life. And the simple truth is, at the very heart of giving, is putting God there, on the throne of your giving. And when we do that, I just believe we just get that vigor, that fervor, that apathy leaves us. And we begin to, to give our offerings. But you know what? Every Thursday at 12.03, my cell phone goes off. Thursday at 12.03. Do you know why? Because that's when my electronic giving comes out. And I go, woohoo! <laughs> you know, and just think about it. If we give like that, cheerfully, we get to be a part of, of God's church that meets the needs of others. Malachi's text for today finishes with these amazing words. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse 
that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. What do you need to change in order for God to have first place in your life? Inviting Jesus in and submitting to his will in your financial life. You need to change the way you look at your things. Can you give God first place with your finances? What's pre preventing you from storing up your treasures in heaven? Is it fear? Is it lack of trust, fear of the future, selfishness? We need to go to the Lord together and get that fervor back on our giving and who we are and how we give. Let Him be our first love. Will you pray with me? Holy One, gracious heavenly God, Jehovah Jireh, our provider, all that we have is yours. All that we've been given is yours, given by your hand. Like that faithful hymn says, great is thy faithfulness, thy hand hath provided. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. God, remind us of that this day. Challenge us by your Holy Spirit to be a generous, uh, cheerful giver of a tithe. And may the work of your ministries here at Anderson Hills multiply. Get rid of scarcity and apathy from our lives. And may we see your abundance and just watch what you will do through this ministries here at Anderson Hills, through our pastors, through our staff, through our laity. Watch people's lives be saved and the gospel be spread throughout this land. God, may it be so. We thank you, Lord, and we pray that you would have your way in our lives. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.